0: Today on the Colin and Samir podcast, we're joined by an extremely inspirational young creator. Her name is Jade Dharma Wangza. We came across Jade earlier this year when she had about 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. We were really impressed with the content she was putting out and the knowledge she had about marketing on the internet. She's grown a very impressive brand across social platforms and she's built an online marketing business all at the age of 17. That's right, Jade is 17 years old. She's been on YouTube for about 10 years, and she brings a really interesting perspective to the platform. She knows how to grow audience on the platform, and she also knows how to monetize what she's doing on YouTube, which is not always easy to understand. We cover a lot of topics on this episode. We talk about business, family, dealing with being different, and Jade shares some really personal stories that I think will inspire you to share more of yourself and get out there and create Jade is an entrepreneur, a YouTuber, a marketer, a brand builder, and really, all in all, just an absolute hustler. All right, so let's get to it. This is our conversation with Jade Dharmawongsa. All right, this episode, we are very excited about having, and I've said this before, but this time, it's for real. uh, This is our youngest guest ever on the podcast.
1: guys is that for real that is for real okay. we we
0: had a, a very talented filmmaker named Braxton Haugen who is um, on the podcast but he was 18 Jake? yes
1: I'm 17 <laughs> years old
0: you are 17 years old you are an entrepreneur you're a hustler you have over 120,000 subscribers on YouTube you've grown a significant brand for yourself um, and we're gonna get into all of that today but I wanted to start with where you're from which is Portland Oregon and that is my favorite city in the United States. Really? Yes.
1: Okay, well, i love to know why, because we were talking about this earlier, but I lived in Portland for uh, seven years, and I love it, but I'm, I'm not going to go back.
0: It's so, so interesting, because last week on our podcast, um, I said that if I was to move anywhere in the world, it would be Portland, Oregon.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's, it's funny, because you've moved from Portland, Oregon to, to L.A., LA. I feel um, like
1: everyone's making this swap. Everyone wants like yeah, a hipster, yeah. and people are sick of the hipster. They want to go to L. A.
0: Is L. A. not hipster?
1: Well, it's like it, that's
0: surprising it, because, in my opinion, L. A. is like the most sceney place you could possibly be. L.
1: A. is opportunity based. I feel like.
2: Yeah, and sceney isn't necessarily hipster. Yes. Right, like hipster is pre scene. L. A. has been like.
1: It's established la is
2: established yeah
1: it's booming well i think the creative market in portland's great but in regards to any business opportunities which i find myself running into just people not believing in this like youtube thing and i don't know if you guys can relate but in portland it's less common
0: i mean I, yeah i mean that that's really interesting for me because last time we were there we were at the wyden kennedy office yeah. which is like an advertising agency i look up to a lot and they do samsung's marketing mm-hmm. and they're all youtube So we we had like some guys who watch our channel from Wyden and Kennedy reach out and we had coffee with them and got to hang out and go see the office. So I'm surprised that with with agencies like that, that it's less common. But I do remember one of our first meetings with Nike there. Mm And when we were first meeting with Nike, they did—they had no interest in YouTube at an early stage. So they were not first movers on like YouTube. So yeah, maybe A little that's slower
1: moving. I yeah. mean, everything in LA happens first, and then it transfers and trickles mm. into Portland. Interesting. I find it more the people there, um, especially because I'm 17. I work with people I work with. I go to I used to go to school with yeah. people who just did not understand that.
0: Yeah, interesting. Well, I I really like Portland because for me, I grew up here in LA, yeah. and I think. Portland like being in close to nature yes. is so important like you look at where we are right now I mean we're like in a city there's, there's obviously lo- there's like Malibu there's a beach yeah. but for me I feel like I can be like alone in Portland like I drive up into Mount Hood or something and like actually be alone with my thoughts and be away from things and everything's moved slower there's like such a craft in the food and coffee there like people care about small things there which I really appreciate
1: it's detailed oriented for
2: sure yes Colin no, I just I have so many questions, honestly. I think there's just so much backstory to learn about you that we should go into right now. Okay. Um, considering you are 17 and you have moved to Los Angeles, uh, there's just so much to your story. So tell us a little bit about how you even came to be here in Los Angeles doing what you're doing.
1: I was born in Los Angeles, um, in Arcadia, California, actually, specifically. And I grew up here for eight years of my life. This is when my family's company was growing really well. And I remember, my dad's an entrepreneur, and I remember looking up to him and seeing his company grow and grow and grow until 2008 when there was an economy crisis where we packed up all our bags and moved to Texas. It was really drastic change from you know living in a nice protected home to a small apartment in Austin, Texas. And I started to realize the struggle of growing a company because my dad grew his software business to two million in two months. And seeing that plummet, even though I was like, what, eight years old, I was still like, mom, dad, why am I in a small little corner instead of like my home back in Arcadia? And my mom says, Jade, your dad lost her job. So I remember at a young age, the importance of even if you have a college education, even if my dad went to USC, you know, such an awesome guy, such an amazing family I was raised in, even if you have this, you know, the, the likelihood of success is still very slim. And when I realized that at like eight years old, I decided to start my first business. So I made a YouTube channel called Kitty Films 8. It's still here today. And Kitty Films 8 was a doll channel and I was still in Texas I think at this time but my family was moving to Portland, Oregon um, and I, when I packed my bags we moved again because again jobs were switching my dad still couldn't find a stable job I remember once we find ourselves in Portland I was like getting a deep breath, the air was cleaner the, the grass was greener and I was like okay this is cool, I like this Portland place I did YouTube, I played with dolls made films out of it similar to um, like a TV show series but literally with like little pet shops if you guys are familiar with like Uh, Mattel toys like Barbies and shit like we didn't have much money But my parents would give me a small Sony X5 and a little doll and I would start making videos
2: So I'm gonna stop you there 2008 your dad loses his job and you feel Compelled yourself to start a YouTube channel. Is that because you're watching a lot of YouTube? Did you correlate that with business at that age? Uh,
1: No, I mean like an eight-year-old can't process that I feel like yeah, I don't know looking back. That's a good question I felt like what I thought was if school can't provide me the education, like literally at eight years old, I felt like I could drop out, that's another story. But at eight years old, I was like, school can't provide me what I wanna know, so why not try it out? And what I really wanted to know was how to make content, literally just make films and people see it. So little did I know I was doing quote unquote marketing, when really I was just trying to make a little film and get people to see it because I'm an only child and I love attention. <laughs> so that was literally the root of it.
2: And are you getting traction at this time? Are you are people watching your channel?
1: Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I quickly realized that marketing's kind of hard. Even in 2008 and 2009 when it was still new, there was something about creating content that people cared about, and finding a demand, and that's what equals success, not just creating what you want all the time. So... In the beginning, I just created what I want and I soon transitioned into making tutorials about my films. So the pivot was actually realizing, hmm, okay Jade, people seem to like, 20 people seem to watch your doll videos, cool. Um, One of them actually has 20,000 views. I have no idea why you can find it. It's kind of weird. Um, It's me like playing with this thing. It's like Hannah Montana edition. Anyways, uh, we got some traction on that. Jade's getting traction at nine years old. And I soon realized that, okay, um, how do I, can I make this bigger? So people in the comments said, Why why don't you make tutorials on how you, you know, play with your dolls or how do you edit? And I was like, all right, this could be opportunity.
2: It's so fascinating because we're 10 years older than you. And so I think at that time (laughs) in like in 2008, we're 12 years older than you. Oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't take time to do that math. Um, Okay, okay, so we're 12 years older than you. Um, It's 2008, 2009. Uh, Samir and I are both sophomores in college. I don't think I even really watched YouTube that much. I didn't get into YouTube into 20, until 2012. How Was YouTube just a part of your life, like just a part of your fabric growing up?
1: I think what happened really was my dad was hustling. He was trying to find a new job, like literally To to, I can't, I don't know how to describe it, but like the money we had wasn't a lot to the point where my dad was thinking to literally like discover new avenues like he told me actually a huge part of it I remember this conversation like straight up I'm in my small little room I'm playing with these dolls and my dad before I even picked up the camera was like Jade check out this YouTube thing I think it might really be something you'd like because he knew as a child I love attention I'm not joking when I say I'm an only (laughs) child because I thrive under attention and he's like this might be the attention platform he didn't really say like that he said it like an eight-year-old language like Jade plays with dolls maybe maybe she can make something out of it So I think I was literally realizing, since my dad was hustling, he straight up told me, check this YouTube out. He didn't really force me. It was just like, check it out. I'm like, all right. So I checked it out.
2: And then, you know, now you're a consultant, you're a strategist, but at a very young age, you started sort of getting into that. So how did you move from like the doll channel to more so of what you're doing today?
1: So the doll channel, actually, (laughs) no one believes me when I said this, but... My, the doll channel ended up becoming an e-commerce business. When I was nine, uh, turning 10, I started to realize people wanted to buy my toys. I was starting to play with rare t- dolls and things that people couldn't purchase. I opened up my eBay store that's kind of scaled out past eBay and moved into Weebly. Does anyone remember Weebly? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. You knew there. So I was nine and a half. I remember this. Weebly was a shit. And I remember building my e-commerce store. It's called simplykawaii.com. Weebly.com. I couldn't even buy my own username. Gosh, Jade, you can invest in your business. But um, I started to sell the toys by making content. I marketed the toys and made profit out of that merchandise.
0: So what was your, you, you just talked a little bit about your dad, um, you know, kind of talking about YouTube and being involved, but what was your family's role at this point? You're talking about launching e-commerce. Like, was it just, you are obviously like they had to, be involved to the connect a bank account or like how, how involved were they at this stage with what you were doing and were they comfortable with you um, putting yourself on YouTube and, and pushing like that, that narrative and creating a business at such a young age.
1: My parents to give some context, I'm half Chinese, half Indonesian. I, they grew up in a traditional Asian household. So people are really stunned by the supportiveness of my parents. They're like, how did you get this? Like, you know, traditional Asian family to support you. In entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have no idea why. They're like literally the most coolest cats ever. Um, <laughs> basically, at this stage of my business, I needed money. Like, I realized I couldn't just start selling my toys that I got from like Goodwill and selling it. Like, I needed more product. My demand was so high. I told my parents, I did some Googling. There's something called aliexpress.com. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you could buy something for cheap and sell it for more. The same toys, but in a co- like a maximum quantity
0: so just from listening to you I feel like you at at an early age were also consuming potentially like like how were you learning about this stuff some th- just listening to you talk it sounds um, like there was a potential for early Gary Vaynerchuk influence
1: <laughs> there was no Gary Vaynerchuk back then though like I guess back then my inspiration were youtubers like mm-hmm. Completely reversed. this is has nothing to do with toys, but there was a channel by a girl named Bethany Moda. yeah, mm-hmm. and that was the first I remember time, her and Michelle Phan. Really well, yeah, Michelle Phan, Bethany Moda. they're all doing different things now, but to see a female young build a beauty brand, I saw that same pattern transferred over to young toy brand. and um i I thought opportunity was there
0: that's that's incredible at at a young age to have that thought like that I think that that's so fascinating to me um so at this point like your your demand is high um and so like do you move forward with getting product from AliExpress do you build out the e-commerce like what what happened next
1: so here's what happened (laughs) (laughs) keep in mind people think I'm like this extraordinary child which is I mean maybe I was a weird kid definitely did not have too many friends but you also have to realize that I was still a kid like I just wanted to make money because I couldn't you know, school lunch was expensive, and I could—I just didn't want to eat like cardboard. So it was actually my pursuit and motivation of building an e-commerce site, which for me was just a YouTube channel with a store, um, was because I just wanted to hustle and didn't feel like my—I wanted to make my parents feel like they had to work for me. I was a burden. I actually legitimately, my huge motivation was trying to provide for my family because I felt like I costed a lot to them. Um, so so go-
0: yeah, so I'm—I'm I'm just curious to dig into that right there. Like that—that's really fascinating, and—and and must have been like at what point did you did you make that connection was that post like arcadia when you come into this new situation where all of a sudden things are different you don't have the same type of house like everything's different did you guys communi- like did you communicate with your parents about this saying like I want to make money to help out
1: it wasn't like that it was like I want to play violin I want to become a dancer. Mm. I want to be, I want to create, I want to buy a camera. And they said no to everything I said. And I thought it was, I was so angry as a kid. I was like 10 at this time. I want to play violin. My my friends are dancers. They're going to ballet school. Where am I going? Mm. And I thought back then they were actually trying to protect me and think that we had money in the family, which is back thinking back, it breaks my heart. But like, they were trying to make sure I wasn't stressed, but they said, you can't do this We can't, we don't have money. Um, And I was like, you know what? Uh, it's fine, I'll do it myself. So, I ended up wanting to play violin. I wanted yeah. to dance. So, if I couldn't get my parents to say yes, I could do it myself.
0: So, YouTube was the modern day lemonade stand.
1: It was the modern day lemonade stand. And here's the thing it was so funny. By the time I wanted to take YouTube, because it was like, again, I didn't have money for my violin, so I just used YouTube as my creative outlet. By the time I wanted to make it like a business, 2010, 11, I had to take a loan for my parents, and now here's the thing. So I knew my parents didn't have a lot of money, and I knew this is an opportunity looking at the sales. I said, can I take a loan of $300 for AliExpress? They said no. So then I kept pursuing. I was like, please get $300. At this time, I had really bad health issues, actually. Um, Not a lot of people know this, but I was in a wheelchair for, like, a long time, from, like, third to fifth grade because of my eczema. I wasn't. I didn't break a bone. It was like literally. I had a really bad skin problem. So some days it was like, should I spend money on e-commerce or should I go to the doctor? It literally got to that point. Um, mm. So I chose e-commerce, <laughs> and I basically uh, they gave me three hundred dollars to invest in um, AliExpress products.
0: Wow, fascinating. So did did the fact that you I mean th- that was really interesting. And I appreciate you sharing that. Like you you were in a wheelchair for some time. <laughs> did that Um, affect you like uh, how much I guess how much did that affect you when you went to school like when it came to social situations and um, was that something that pushed you to go more into I guess going down the entrepreneurial path with things that you could control
1: it definitely took a toll because people just look at you different and maybe like similar. It's the same analogy and feeling when you're vlogging down the street and everyone's looking at you. Mm. Same thing when you're dragged in a wheelchair and people are just staring like, who who is this? Mm. So at a very young age, I knew I was different, whether it was health or whether it was my weird entrepreneurial brain. I knew that I was different. So being an outcast was the truth.
0: So you get the $300 and I, I, that's going to come up more. I just wrote that down as a note. I think that's, that's, like that was something I didn't know about you, and um, I think that that probably will play in as your story carries on. Like the um, at a young age, at a young age being different, um, and probably now why you are comfortable like walking around with a camera in your hand yeah. in public. That's um, you, you've you you know for for better or worse, you grew accustomed at a young age or became it became something that was ingrained in you that you were different from others, correct, and that maybe you're. Except more accepting of being different. Oh, yeah, right
1: people would say YouTube is weird Like at this time you have to keep in mind. It was fifth grade still doing YouTube in a wheelchair This this girl is like literally weird, but uh, I was still doing YouTube in a wheelchair And I just couldn't care less because at this time I was like people already staring at me I can take I can take a hit for YouTube.
2: I think to take it a step further when I watch your videos it's it's not even like You're just comfortable walking down the street with a camera, but it's the substance that you're comfortable sharing, which surprises me sometimes. Like there's a video on your vlog channel that's titled like I haven't shit in five (laughs) Days," and that's like taking a major step forward into the future. (laughs) But I looked at that and I was like, this is one of the most vulnerable, (laughs) impressive videos I have ever seen.
1: You watched the whole thing?
2: I did watch the whole thing.
1: Oh my gosh. I was in pain. Anyways. Yeah, that was true. And going back to vulnerability, I guess also people think I'm also learning a lot marketing-wise from my father's company. Like, no, it was literally just, I didn't even know marketing was a thing. I just realized if you're authentic, if you share vulnerable things, people listen. Um, So I just capitalize on that. And that's how I actually learned most of my stuff, just by sharing weird-ass shit.
2: So we'll get back to that, to sharing weird-ass shit. Yes. But going back to the AliExpress story, you've got $300. (laughs) You've made the purchase. What happens
1: here? So, being very specific, I actually, <laughs> before I didn't even know what market fit was, again, I'm still like 10, I bought these squishies. I don't know if you heard, they're like keychains, but they're like squishy. It's like stress toys. Okay. Anyways, huge demand, huge demand. The reason why I knew that was because people in my YouTube community stopped playing with dolls and it started to go with squishies, and my heart stopped. I was like, is there an end to this market? I was like, whatever, I'll just switch to squishies and play with these things. So, $300 worth of squishies bought around... I think 800 uh, product merchandises or uh, literally my garage has still some of them. I'll get into that. But I literally started in my garage and I know every entrepreneur starts in their garage, but that's the truth. $300 got me 800 products. I sold them at uh, $4 each, buying them like a dollar a piece. And by the time I was 10, exactly 10, I turned 10. I think I sold $5,000 a month in revenue for my squishy business.
2: Wow. (laughs) And are you selling to a mix of friends and audience or fully audience at this point
1: it was a hustle because oh there's so many businesses okay basically after the e-commerce carry on after the e-commerce business i realized that i could do more products but to be very short it first started with youtube audience and then people from school picked up on it and bought from me so it was a mixture of both
0: and that five thousand dollars was that going into your bank account or no. how did, like how did that no. work at a young age because you're yeah so I was
1: so weird to the point where I knew I could cash out and be happy in life I could you know um so hang where, out with the cool
0: but, kids. Where, but where was it like I'm logistically just oh it went interested. back in the business
1: I just bought took five thousand dollars bought five thousand dollars in merchandise and your
0: business bank account was set up by you or was it like how, <laughs> it was
1: my paypal of my parents paypal account okay got it okay it, it was a yeah,
0: <laughs> so your parents were like very aware of like the type of money you were bringing. Yeah, in.
1: they were aware. They were so well aware. My dad was going to become my employee at one point. Like he, <sighs> okay, so ten years old, my dad still didn't have a job. I I think this is correct. So he looked at this business and was like, "All right, let's keep going, Jade." And I was like, "Wait, Dad, aren't you have your own business?" He's like, "No, no, we can do this." So we ended up just seeing opportunity. He ended up like going against the company. I can tell you how the company ended, but. Um, my dad was literally my biggest investor. He started doing technology, building a website for it. We ended up scaling so big that we had to go to Amazon, fulfilled by Amazon, yeah. uh, past Weebly, because Weebly couldn't handle it. So it's so funny how he kind of came in too.
0: So uh, like, did, how, does it, how does this business shut down? How do, oh. you, how do you switch from <laughs> this? Um, why, why are you not running a toy empire right now?
1: Um, it's so sad, because I could own a toy empire, and toy channels are so big on YouTube. Yeah. Going back to what happened, basically, I remember there was a point where we were scaling really well, like mm-hmm. Amazon. But it's, if people who are in the Amazon business know that Amazon takes a lot of uh, they t- take a lot of interest for the amount of inventory you have at the space. Mm-hmm. Shipping was a thing. If people don't have a lot of orders, um, th- there's a cost apparently if it's just waiting there. So we ended up not making any profit for the next three months because every month it was breaking even. It was breaking even and I think what really happened was my health kept getting worse. So if you think about it, if you keep seeing opportunity, um, you know, just become stable and stagnant and your health problems are keep getting worse and worse, I think really what happened was I just kind of saw the kids staring at me as a weakness and I actually stopped completely because I had to go to like, to take care of my own stuff first. like mm. my, my, my health, like my, I couldn't walk, so I wanted to just tell my parents, hey, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's taking too much time. And um, I actually stopped completely because people were also making, at this point my business is so big that people and teachers were saying, Jade's not spending time in class anymore. She's not even in school because she can't even walk. And at this point I was a failing student, like Fs and Ds. I'm not, It's like kind of similar to Gary, but Fs and Ds, couldn't walk. Kids didn't like me because I didn't show up to school. And at fifth grade I completely stopped. Everything shut down. I was heartbroken by the time I wasn't aware of what I was doing. I was just trying to apparently fit into society's needs um, to just be happy, I guess.
0: So at what point now do you turn the camera on yourself and decide that, you know what, I'm going to pick back up on this YouTube thing?
1: It was so weird. When you just completely stopped, I think it was mostly burnt out. To be honest, when you're like a 13-year-old, thir- you don't really know what burnt out is, but I think it was burnt. Uh, I was burnt out. So I did try to pick up the camera immediately. It's like a love-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like a when you're dating someone, you just want to come back. You love them so much. So I actually did pick up the camera very quickly. A year later, it was freshman year of high school. I remember this so quickly. Um, a year later, I pick up the camera again. I stopped. I picked up the camera again. Three months later, stopped. Like, it was this YouTube thing where I, I would upload once, like twice a year maybe. And I kept doing this. And I just didn't feel comfortable with myself. And I would just off and on off and on it was really until um two years ago two and a half years ago when I was 15 where I was done feeling insecure about it I think it's just because when you're burnt out you just kind of freeze up so I was trying to really see what I could do I told my dad can I learn a few things of your business? At this time, again, my dad was still trying to find a job. And in 2015, I remember, he landed a client. Like, he started his another business, and it's called Wyverge. They do uh, marketing now. So I was thinking, wait a second. When I was nine years old, I was doing something with attention and marketing. Maybe my dad can help me. So I just started working for my dad, straight up.
0: Got it, okay. So, and I have two questions for you. One, you originally were making videos that were all structured around like dolls and they didn't have your face on camera? No,
1: oh, a little bit. A
0: little bit. Because okay. I, was,
1: like, uh, I was like showing the products.
0: So like your current style of content is like, <laughs> surrounds you. That's so uh, what, uh, what I'm curious about is like, was it immediate then like that you just, the next time you picked up the camera, you're like, oh, I'm gonna vlog or I'm gonna like talk to the camera instead of making it about something else. Go How on, did you <laughs> overcome the, uh, insecurity or was there insecurity about putting yourself on camera and making you the subject of the content?
1: I think people also have to realize like, um, even with a doll channel, I was always the center of attention. (laughs) I love attention as you can tell. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe it wasn't necessarily like I'm telling, you know, I'm in the front of the camera, but I was a narrator. My voice was in it. People actually recognize my voice. Hmm. So really it wasn't really a hard switch. I went from dolls to beauty. That's not a hard transition at all. Like dolls, to a little bit of makeup tutorials uh, makeup to fashion a little bit more full body and from here it just became a transition from fashion to a leap of faith of filmmaking then to marketing
0: got it so on the channel that you currently have yes i went back and watched some of the oldest videos oh, no. there's like some gopro stuff in there <laughs> there's like and then there's some like film stuff in there
2: yeah
0: uh so was this was not the beauty channel
1: there okay there's another so channel there's a there's so many channels there's Kitty okay, Films 8 Jade Delicious Joy, mm. which is the beauty, and then this is Jade She's okay. rebranded a few times. Yeah, <laughs>
0: you have rebranded, and you have multiple channels right now, even.
1: Yeah, we got Jade's vlogs and shit. Uh huh. So we got two. Yeah. So we have okay. a total of five channels.
0: That are currently out there on YouTube. That you. They're can
1: somewhere. Consult. They're somewhere. Wow.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So today you have found a way from working at your dad's. Uh, company you're working with your dad Mm -hmm. so I've I've, in watching some of your videos you said like I was working at a digital marketing agency and now I've brought some of my clients along with me was that the company
1: yeah no one knows that okay so basically I wanted to keep it professional yeah and people know this for a fact like me and my dad we're very professional people think it's like this father-son wait Mm father-daughter dynamic like oh this is cute like no bitch this is like Wait, can I cuss sure no bitch like this is pretty intense so I ended up working with my dad's clients under content. They saw my YouTube videos, like Jake can edit a few videos. So for a couple of my dad's clients, I would edit their campaigns. And from there, they loved it. And I brought them onto my own hands and my dad was growing his company. So he's like, so you can take some of these clients. And from there, I started to go my way.
0: Got it. Okay, so now you have your own company, like outside of that. And one thing that I think is really impressive with you as I look at your, content is it's all you, it seems like hearing your, your backstory, you've always looked at content as a pathway to revenue.
1: Yeah, I guess. (laughs)
0: And, and I think that right now you monetize in a lot of really interesting ways. And, and as time has gone on, like Colin and I, when we started on, you know, making YouTube content in 2012, mostly people were monetizing through AdSense or sponsorships. Like that was, that was it. And today there's so many different ways. Um, to monetize, whether you're creating your own product line or you have a community on Patreon or um, you push it into a uh, agency style business like you have, or like consulting and stuff like that. One thing that's really fascinating to me is all the platforms that you use. I feel like I'm, I'm like, I do not even know about like the, the coaching platform you use. I want to hear more about um, like the, I, I clicked it. It's on one of your descriptions of video and it's like a Facebook messenger type of thing. So, Like it sounds like you brought over some clients here and then you were like, you know what? Um, you know, I, am going to expand upon this. Um, so how does, how does, how does your business currently work and how do you use YouTube to function your business?
1: If you are an e-commerce brand, the biggest problem isn't your product. It's your customers saying it. Are you really getting people to be aware of your product? So, That's what I solve. I solve awareness and strategy. And for the longest time, back when I was a kid, I was pretty good at this YouTube and Instagram thing. So I literally just started making tutorial value based content on how to grow on Instagram. One of my most popular videos is actually only a year ago. So technically, this is something that happened for years and years, but the, the business of consulting only started last year. I was still in school, by the way, at this time, so I was juggling, like, going to calculus and then going back to YouTube, but um, I remember very quickly high, s- high school? High school, yes. Okay. High school. Um, I remember realizing very quickly, brands are really good at building product, not awareness. So I started to really build out my strategy and my coaching on how they can, I can help them. That just literally started without a website. People think they need the best camera, they need the best resources. I was just being resourceful and I grabbed, um, at this time, my, my school's camera. I didn't really have a nice computer. It was an old MacBook, and I didn't have a website. So I took my YouTube in the very beginning. I took my YouTube comments, said, please email me at this really like business email that looks bigger than I am. Um, email me at this address if you want coaching. The first client, I kid you not, guess how much they paid me? Guess how much?
0: $700.
1: Zero, I I couldn't justify my price. Okay, so I worked for free. A lot of people are like, scared to work for free. Yeah. And at this time, you had to understand, I was working with my dad's clients, but you had to understand like, it went through my dad's company, so I didn't take much profit. I was just kind of hustling and helping him grow his company. So this is the first time Jane standing on her own feet. And for the first time, someone slaps me in the face and says, you're not worth $20 an hour. It's like, oh shit, okay, um, can I, am I wear it for free? And they're like, sure. <laughs> so I remember so clearly, bless this guy's soul, um, I was helping this client with her uh, photography print business. Mm. It was like, she was a Visco photographer and she wanted to sell prints. And I'm like, okay, I'm really good at growing Instagram followers and ads, so let me help you for free. So that's how I got started.
2: I'd love to know, how did that client find you? Was YouTube, that, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. So, so right from the start, you're converting people from digital environments and then interacting with them, like did you meet in person or how did you operate with that?
1: This so weird. This girl was from Indo, like, I guess it comes. it's a helpful asset to maybe be, be a minority, but um, she related to my content. She found me on YouTube when I was very small. I think 2000 subscribers and she's like, yo, I'm from Indonesia. Uh, can you help me with my printing business?
2: So did you see that trend continue then that like, as you started to put out more videos that started to do well, like what was the rise like for you through YouTube? Because this has all happened in the last year. And, like, did that rise in viewership? How has it converted to you, like, business, in terms of business?
1: I worked for free for a solid, like, three months straight, like, taking calls left and right. It was amazing. I actually loved it. I ended up having a show called The Ask Jade Show, um, which was just a way for me to call more and more people for free at scale. I just was in love with giving value. I actually didn't expect to make profit. At this time, like, yes, I see people with Lamborghinis. And this was a, like, 2017 was a whole rise of Ty Lopez, the course, in the Lamborghini industry. Maybe you guys are familiar. I just didn't want to be like that. I wanted to give value. At that time, I was focused on building the audience, caring about the consumer. Later on, I can monetize. I actually didn't monetize until recently. So my biggest thing was realizing if I focus on the consumer, make them stay, become a true fan, I can monetize later on. I didn't think about making my, you know, like uh, $3,000 packages until later.
2: So even like focusing on the consumer, which at the time just meant building audience, yes. that takes a lot of time and a lot of, you have to give a lot of yourself to build audience. Yes. Right. And that's something that when I look at you, I'm like, wow, like you, you do, you give a lot of yourself and a lot of your time to your community, to your audience. And sometimes I struggle with that. Like sometimes feeling like beholden to my, to an audience or feeling guilty, but like why? Why? feeling like if I don't post oh yeah yeah yeah, for sure oh my gosh I'm I'm lacking in that relationship
1: you post daily before right
2: uh we kind of go through spurts like we're I I think we're relatively inconsistent there was Uh, a
1: time where I posted three months straight every single day I cried out of my eyes but that's what I
2: would like to talk about (laughs) it's like what type of toll did that take on you And, and currently you you still do a really good job at maintaining this connection with your audience of like going live putting videos out all over before we go any further,
0: we ordered lunch in the middle of this podcast, and we're probably going to start eating.
1: We're starting so, to eat. It's mukbang yeah, now. We're
0: gonna to, yeah, we're, we're going to start to eat. we definitely going to start eating. by the way, I just found out what that was and started watching some They're of them. good. Fascinating category of content <laughs> on YouTube.
2: Wait, someone explain that to me.
1: You don't know what mukbang is? No, I don't no oh idea. Oh my gosh. No Come idea. On.
2: Nothing. Colin. Tell me about it's it. It's
1: an eating it's show. Austin's favorite category. It's an eating show. People get paid thousands of dollars just to eat.
2: That sounds wonderful.
1: My friend's a mukbanger, and she's like-
2: Wait. Okay, what, like your friend's a mukbanger.
1: Yes. What? Like you have to tell me
2: more. Like what? Kay. What? Is it just like what does that mean?
1: You I, eat on camera. I don't know how to explain it. You would just eat, and it's like a forty. So it's like a
0: lot of food, like oh, what yeah. I'm doing right now. But it's a lot of food, and I just advised someone on a mukbang show, which is why I had to find out about it. <laughs> but then I was just like, oh my god, this would be a crazy life. They're doing it like in a dining hall at UCLA, and yeah. it's just like a.
2: It's fascinating. It's, it's like
1: 45 minutes of amazing content. You should watch.
2: What differentiates it from any other food show on YouTube or food content? I think
1: it's because no one edits their... Okay, literally, it's just so long. And it's as
2: if the three of us were sitting here right now...
1: Eating a meal. And we had
0: a ridiculous amount of food, and we were just filming unedited for 45 minutes.
2: Why are we not doing that? What are we doing here? I don't if know. <laughs> if, if, like, that's a life you could live.
1: Should we make a Mukbang channel?
2: Yes, okay, absolutely. All right, make a
1: mukbang channel. No, but yeah, honestly, it's... Uh, um, it's a huge market and it's very therapeutic if you uh, find yourself stressed.
2: incredible and stress. That's what we were talking about before we started eating. So how do you like deal with that, with giving so much of yourself? I mean, you said that, you know, you like attention. So there's some part of that that's like, of course, this is an opportunity every time to seek attention. And like being on YouTube and on social media is the business of grabbing attention. Yeah. Um, but what type of toll has that taken on you and how do you sort of mitigate that?
1: It was never for me. You know, like, I'm not gonna lie. Being on camera, turning it on, editing it, I would edit all my videos at this time, um, is not easy, but I remember very clearly, this is not for me. I wanna provide for my family. I wanna become someone that has influence. So I was able to kind of, you know, take my ego and be like, you know what? Yeah, this sucks ass. I'm not getting straight A's anymore. Um, But I wanted to be someone that would provide in the future. So very clearly, I remembered, even if it sucks now, long-term wise, I'm, I'm willing to work.
2: So you express that in some of your videos. Like you'll, I think two videos, one of your recent videos, you say like, I don't really want to be making this video right now.
1: I don't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is that, and for me, I watch that and I'm like, oh, I really connect with that because sometimes I feel that way or, and I'm sure other people do too. They can understand that. Yeah. Was that tr- strategic for you to open up in that way?
1: One thing you have to realize, and this might sound so sad and depressing, sorry for if it does, but I had no friends. Uh, I still, My, my, my friend circle is pretty good right now, but uh, middle school, high school, didn't have much friends. My YouTube was my only friend. I know people say that in the most like, that's the reason why I'm so loving and I do meetups because I kid you not, these are my only friends. Um, I have friends in my networking and I love business, but this is like kind of more like a family almost and I'm the only child. So to be very honest, I open up because it's kind of all I have. That's also sad.
2: <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, I, I can honestly relate to that a lot. Um, just this feeling like what we've been doing on YouTube for the past two years and even for the past six years, like the amount of people that I have met, Samir included, via the Internet or social media, have drastically changed my life and continue to do so. I'm, I'm a huge believer in taking that chance and converting on someone that you meet in a digital environment.
1: Like you get comments, right? Like I think those comments are the most motivating part. If it wasn't for engagement, I don't think I would have done it. Like the fact that I could read a comment talking about I can't shit for five days and someone saying, Jade, I th- I'm having this problem too. And I didn't think it was common. That's what made it worth it. People out there that engage and comment makes it worth it. If no one commented, honestly, probably stop like, you know, a few years ago. But I think it's the engagement. So, moving.
2: I put myself in your shoes. If I'm about to release a video titled I can't shit, I haven't shit in five days. Okay. I would spend more time thinking about whether I should put that (laughs) video out than I would like producing that video and and, like getting it ready. Like just the concept of releasing that to the world (laughs) (laughs) would stress me out. What is it about you that either doesn't think about that or is just able to confidently put that out into the world?
1: When When you're overthinking something, my biggest reason is because you care what people think and you care and value that people accept you into your world. I think I accepted myself into my own world. So putting it out there, was like, I have nothing to lose. If you don't like me, so what? And that's mainly because I've been through it so long during high school and middle school. But to be very honest, once you accept yourself, you feel really powerful and you feel like you can do anything.
2: I think it is one of the really beautiful things about social media and about YouTube is that like if you can get close to putting the realest interpretation of yourself on camera and into the world, the same way that you find that there are people that, that like you in real life, you will find there are people on the internet who like you too. Um, and at the same time, there are hateful comments, but I, like, I watched a video of yours this morning where you talked about, like, that's not your audience. They're not staying. Nope. I really like that perspective on haters and how to deal with that aspect of putting yourself it's on It's not
1: YouTube. your niche. How was this? How was your green uh, bowl,
0: guys? I the whole time while you were talking, I was fascinated, but I was fully finished my lunch. How was it? Very Good. delicious. Okay. Um, I wanted to dig in here, Jade, about high school and um, leaving high school. Yes. Did you graduate from high school? Nope. You didn't. So, what, at what point did you leave? Like senior year or
1: junior? <laughs> year? Um, I'm 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 a junior right now. Um, technically, so like senior. So I left junior year. January 2018 only you know the beginning of this year okay and I did not finish people think I had a GED Mm -hmm. I signed a form I don't know what happened this girl maybe should have thought this through because Little did I know someone from court was texting me saying like Jay this is illegal anyways uh, Let's just say I just stopped showing up to class Then my counselor emailed me saying what's going on where are you Jade?" and from there I just straight up told them Peace out and then everything else is history
0: So How did your parents feel about high school
1: oh yeah that was weird uh i sat down with them saying dad mom i'm not gonna be high school and keep in mind my dad went to usc Mm -hmm. very smart family mit the whole family thinks you know still to this day it's weird yeah my first thing my dad said and going back to when i first mentioned even if you have a stable career you think you have it all you have the best education life can suddenly take a turn. And my dad had the best education and still couldn't find success even with everything. Mm. So he knew that if school can't provide this for me, neither will Jade. I think that's why my parents are so supportive. They've been through failure. They've been through shit. So they know how to handle it. Mm. And I told them they were supportive because they've seen a track record of of years. They're also very reasonable. Like, they're not going to let me drop out. It was a lot of negotiating. But they saw if Jade's at like nine years old doing this, she'll be fine at 18 or 16. Um, So... Part of it is good timing. Like, literally, if it wasn't for my dad you know, going through failure, he would have said yes. And another part of, what of, it, part of it is discipline, showing your parents that this is more than just a hobby, that you can make financial uh, sustainability out of it.
0: So now, months later, do you um, have any thought of finishing up your high school degree? Or
1: Yeah, I actually really value education. One of the things I'm looking into is just, um, I actually never said this before, but um, the educational system right now is really corrupted. Um, people aren't learning what they want to I don't necessarily think it requires me to get a degree I don't necessarily think anyone needs anything really for success but um I'm a huge value of education so um I was supposed to go to US I like my dream school is still USC it has always been weird enough I wasn't a, like when you think high school dropout you think somebody's like stupid on the streets but I was like I was doing pretty well so I gave up everything and now that I think about it yeah I could have gone a route of traditional school but I actually want to build a school
0: so yeah what i was gonna say is actually a couple things one in today's world in 2018 when i think high school dropout i i don't think okay that because (laughs) i think maybe you know when we were younger and when we were in high school yes but not now because i think it's become such a thing that young people are able to create for themselves learn from the internet like people get education in their own ways now and I think people have become more hyper-specific with what they wanna learn and what's valuable to them. So I think that, in my opinion, that, that stigma has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I think is fascinating is that you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't have a great experience in the educational system, but you have now invested your time in teaching and, and coaching and you just said you wanna create a school for yourself. Do you think a lot of your content and the fact that you teach in your content is driven from your uh bad experience with the educational system
1: you know my favorite and i'm I'm very like real like my channel's like theme is like non-bullshit like obviously i know it like i'm motivated when comments and likes and everything like i'm a real person right like i always talk about not rely on bullshit key performance indexes but obviously it's motivating so my favorite comment ever is someone that literally tells me i've learned more in my in this youtube video than my marketing class that just blows my mind. People mm-hmm. are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can do this YouTube shit for free, impact people at scale. I really want to keep going. So one of my biggest focuses is creating an educational platform using YouTube and more recently diversifying it by having my own platform on an app. And I just want to keep making educational content hmm. at every, every, every angle.
0: That's really interesting. So, so in terms of education, consulting, and um, your current business today, you did that Visco thing for free. Yes. When did you start getting paid? Like, when when did the, when did it become like, like what was your first paid gig as like an independent that maybe you sourced independently?
1: Okay. I think people have to also realize if you are in a coaching business, you are not going to go from z- free to I am a thousand dollars a session. Mm-hmm. I went from zero to twenty dollars. Took twenty dollar for twenty. I remember my dad said, take five more of these twenty dollar clients, double your rate, double your rate forty dollars. Take five more of $40, double it, 80 It got to a point where I kept doubling, doubling. And I just kept following this rule of like, if I can kind of supply a pipeline or leads, five a month at a certain price, I can afford to double my rate. Yeah. So really it was just um, doubling until I hit a point, a wall where this was not scalable in a sense of like, one hour of my time is not valuable. So I started doing packages. Mm. And right now, uh, just for some context, one of my biggest like products is a three thousand dollar coaching session four times a month how to grow your instagram how to grow your youtube and drive sales from it so that's my most recent package however i'm always tweaking it i could always double it too but yeah sure
0: and and is that like primarily consulting or is it hands-on like are you getting into actually purchasing advertising for them or helping like like how? It, 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 what what are the different levels that you get involved with?
1: Depends on the company. Like one of my largest clients is actually like a YouTuber. Like sometimes I work with e-commerce brands, but wherever the market needs, I try to see where I can fit in. So for example, a lot of it doesn't require implementation. Neither is it scalable. I can't sit here and like place your Facebook ad. Sure. But I realize people need that. Yeah. So I outsource a lot. Okay. I have a team.
0: Got it. So one thing that I think is, um, that really influenced me to even get involved in YouTube in 2011, I read a book, uh, called unleashing the idea virus by Seth Godin. And the first line of the book says things that are free spread and things that spread win.
1: Oh, that's good. It's very good. And it's the
0: first, and, and the reason why he puts that as the first line, the next paragraph says, if you pick this book up in a bookstore, it's free on my website. You can download it there. And what's amazing is because he gave it away for free, it spread so much that people wanted tangible copies of it because everyone was talking about it. They wanted it in their house. They want it as like a relic. They want Super. it as like a reminder. That's crazy. Yeah, it stood for the lessons you learned from him. But he, in the book, constantly reminds you that if you're reading this at the library or anything, like it's free. You can Damn. just get it. And he's a phenomenal marketer, one of the, the smartest guys uh, out there and like sells marketing courses and Um, has been involved in Yahoo and, like, all kinds of different things. Um, But how do you balance between what you give away for free in terms of knowledge on your YouTube channel and what clients pay for when it comes Mm. to um, your packages?
1: This might not be smart advice, but this is how I did it. You give everything for free, everything to the point where... Is it really necessary to give this out? Just give it. Because you don't know what people find valuable. Some people find value in the ROI. For example, one of my clients wants sales. They want to see followers into customers. Some people just want a comment. You don't know what's valuable to someone unless you really sit down with them. I give everything for free because even if I give you the skeleton, some clients they don't know what to fill in the skeleton, mm-hmm. and if you if you really educate your customer on your methods, they want the personalized version of it. The value isn't the strategy; it's the you know the person that like the personalized customization you can give. So my entire methodology has been give it all away. If you want the personalized ro- custom roadmap, contact me.
0: Very cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe in that actually, and and uh, I think that. Like if you did not come up in the social media phase, like I think Colin and I, I mean, you have to consider that we went through college without Instagram.
1: What? Yes. What did you get? Facebook, MySpace. We had Facebook.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had MySpace when I was younger. I was in a band, so like MySpace was really significant, um, like for music. But yeah, I mean, Facebook came
2: out our senior year of high school. I didn't have a smartphone until I graduated from college. Like I got an iPhone after college. I had a Motorola, Motorola Razor. I had a Razor through college as well. So we are, yeah,
0: we're, (laughs) we're we're at, we're at one end of the spectrum, right? But we still like have an understanding of, of, of social. But I think if you're older than us, it's very confusing to understand why give out your product for free. Right. And, and that's why I think it's amazing and like really interesting for the audience who's listening, like especially if you're service-based, it's confusing because that knowledge is your product.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Like, it's not like you're giving away T-shirts for free, right? Like, you're, your knowledge is your product. And so I can imagine that it's confusing to think about, like, that balance. But I agree, and I think that what you're doing is very smart because people can come to you and you can still have 20,000 people who watch your videos on a daily basis and um, want to consume all the knowledge from you, which is super valuable to build your brand. And then you can convert... If you convert 10, 5% of those customers, exactly, you're doing great. So, like, you're not gonna convert 100% of those people.
1: And I think something I wanna add was like, how to get rich. Literally, I don't care if you have a course, if you are in business school, it's so simple. How to make money is make something that's valuable. Whatever you do, if you can help someone, you're always going to make money so I really focus on that I capitalize on it and uh, recently I actually ventured into the the chat bot the world um, taking my YouTube audience converting them into leads so I can really talk to them one-on-one at scale and that has been a game changer um, but yeah I'll talk about it more later but yeah I've been trying to convert and be more um, different with my uh, customization
2: yeah I think what's interesting is like your knowledge that you're giving out for free is marketing you're for yourself like you're building trust and confidence
1: i know it's really ironic
2: (laughs) like what you're really building is just like this level of trust that you are the right choice for my business and how else are you going to do that if not by giving out your knowledge for free at least to start
1: yeah i mean i could give like a free course but like youtube's a shit so
2: like no one's gonna trust you until they like have access to what you believe and what you know and then they can take that extra step talk to me about the chatbot thing
1: Right. Do you guys are you guys familiar with chatbot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you have Messenger bot already?
2: I don't, but I,
0: I had a meeting, let's say, two years ago with a company called Kick. Okay. Um, they were integrating chatbots into Facebook and they gave me like a test run and it was fan like it was it was unbelievably okay. fascinating. Like they did a weather channel bot inside of our chat. Yes. And so like we were just talking and it was like, Hey, like you want to go surfing on Saturday? And the weather channel just popped up and was yes. like, Saturday's weather will be 70 degrees. And yes. then the uh, surf line popped up and was like, and the waves will be like this big. And I was like, this is insane. And they had shop, like shopping was a big portion of what they were doing as well with yes.
2: chatbots. So, And these are automated responses.
1: Yep, you don't touch it.
2: So you're programming your own?
1: Uh, so I... Yeah, I guess I am. It's, it's not that hard. So, like, basically, like, there's a lot of softwares you can use that make it easy, but I do it all. Like, I don't hire any programmers. And basically, my chat bot um, started out as an outlet for me to stop, like, replying to every single DM because I started, like, not sleeping. Yeah. So I was like, how can I make an automated response that can talk to people? And if they need me, I can also go from bot to human. So... I just started to do, like, literally, if you t- go into my chatbot, um, you can type in a question, and there's, like, an automated response based on AI and keywords. Like, you'll start typing and shit. Uh, so then I was, like, cool. People are using it. I just actually recently, oh, my God, Facebook just contacted me. And we're, like, you're hitting the limit on the amount of users you can have on your chatbot. Like, just be careful, because um, if you go too far, like, Facebook will start limiting the amount of messages you can send. I was, like, okay. Anyways, so that was kind of exciting. It's a good problem to have, but... Um, I started to realize how can I take it a step further? Technology, like this face to like this social media world is great, but face-to-face always wins. So recently, last week, I took my chatbot, created a way for people to ask me questions. And if you lived in Los Angeles, it actually asked you, Do you live in Los Angeles? People are talking to an automated version of my company, right? They're saying, Yes. Come to my event. And I this was so shocking to me. A chatbot could talk to someone ask them, you know, what do you need and deliver to it. We rented out a venue. There was like 20 people RSVP, right? Like we ended up tripling the people that came. The venue people got mad at me. But anyways, it was such a realization that you can use technology to automize but still connect to people on a real level. So I've received tremendous ROI and I'm trying to also kind of productize this in the future because I think it's such a valuable thing to have to talk to people one-on-one at scale and, you know, know more about them.
2: That's fascinating that you are scaling yourself through these chatbots and then converting to events. So that event was called Swipe Up LA.
1: Swipe Up, bitch. Yeah, it's called Swipe Up LA. I had a song called um, "Flex on the Gram." Yeah. <laughs> so, so "Flex I, on the
2: Gram" is related to "Flex on the Gram." If you if you don't know, is a uh, song and a music video. Jane is also a recording artist.
1: Oh yeah, shoot, I forgot to talk about that. But yeah, I
2: mean, you have a you have a music video with sixty thousand views yeah. and it's on Spotify. <laughs> All about social media. Yeah. How did it do on Spotify?
1: Yeah, we, we uh it's so funny. So we worked with a producer for the song. And this song is doing better than his, like, professional songs with artists with Capitol Records. And it just, like, makes me so sad because sometimes people work their whole lives for music. It's, it got to, like, I think 37,000 streams. And I'm not a real artist. So, like, I think that's so fun to me.
2: It's incredible. I mean, like, Jake Paul is, like, one of the biggest musicians, really. You don't think of <laughs> Jake Paul as a musician, right? Like, you laugh. Yeah. You're like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But, honestly, he does, like, more streams on Spotify and streaming platforms than real musicians. That's like crazy. Okay, so the song was part of a marketing play to bring people to... Oh, no,
1: the song was just for fun, and I turned it into opportunity because I didn't know what to do with the attention.
2: Okay, so you had a lot of attention coming in, and, yeah. the, and the idea there was, let me use this to then bring people to an event. Yes. Swipe Up LA. Yes. And that was your first event.
1: I've done meetups before, but this is my first event, correct?
2: So meetups are situations where you're just letting people know where you are and they're coming and you're meeting them and but there's no exchange of uh, there's no monetary exchange.
1: Oh this event was free.
2: Oh Swipe Up LA was free. It was free. So tell me about this event.
1: This event was how creatives make a living online. How to take your social media passion and make money. So it was Five other speakers I brought on to talk about their story. I mainly wanted to use this to promote my app and to show people that they can hear inspiring stories. But for the most part, I don't think for me right now, I don't need to monetize in that avenue um, because I want to, again, reduce the level of friction, get people to come. If you can give value, you can always find monetary value later on. Um, so it was free. It was completely free, and I don't monetize any of my meetups um, at all.
2: Do you in, Did you enjoy that process, and have you enjoyed the meetups?
1: Oh yeah. It's so weird. Like some, my audience is actually a lot older than me. Like some people think it's like, Oh, you have like a small little audience. Like, no, like I have people who are running businesses and people that are older. Mm -hmm. And some people come up to me and they're like, Jade, you've like tripled my sales. I just got $2.2 million in venture capitalist funding. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 where's my share? But anyways, they're like telling me that you're getting results. So I'm getting inspired for sure.
2: It's incredible. It's super easy to forget that you're 17. Oh yeah. And I think, you know, when we started out in 2012, we were 22 years old and, sitting in rooms with people who are twice our age and you know part of our thinking was how do we make sure that they trust us that we're validated that we're not looked at as kids oh do you see that as like now I mean you're 17 you're working with people a lot older than you do you see it as an advantage that you're younger or is it like a hurdle you have to get over
1: it's always been a hurdle I remember one of my first paying clients straight up told me he was a male like he was like an older male and he just said to me aren't you intimidated by me Jade and I remember sitting in this room keep in mind I just moved to LA recent, like only four months ago so this is the first time I like recently moved the setting was like I'm in this like downtown LA huge building and this man just says aren't you intimidated by me and I said no I'm sorry I'm not and I remember just sitting there thinking like do people belittle my age is it a disadvantage but I was so confident that I could provide value that I looked past it ended up closing that client, really. Um, they're doing super well. And I remember, like, now me and that owner have a good relationship. But I just think people aren't aware that, um, you know, they, they don't mean to hurt me. So I don't think anyone that's trying to belittle my age is means anything wrong. They just don't know where I'm coming from, really.
2: Do you think that instance had anything to do with gender? Like, do you find that...
1: Yeah, all my clients are, like, male. Like, I only have, like, a handful that are female. Um, so... I think it's coming more and more young people are, especially females are rising, but it's still so lonely, you know,
2: do you, how do you navigate that? Do you build a team around yourself? I mean, you said you do have a team and you outsource some things, but in terms of like the immediate people in your community working on your brand and your app, do you have people every day that you're working with, like from a lifestyle perspective?
1: I don't have an assistant. I actually cut that out. I don't have, like, a manager. I have, like, VAs from the Philippines you can hire. <laughs> so, literally, the answer is yes. But for the most part, I don't physically see people. Everything's remote. Our programmers are in Russia. My editor is another state. So, yeah, it's very remote.
0: Do you edit your own YouTube videos?
1: Um, not anymore. I answer that right now.
0: Cool. And you have very clearly through this last year and through your life, found a lot of um, success and, and will likely continue to find a lot of success from growing your business to um, extracting revenue out of it, making money. What does, like I think I understand a little bit of what success looks like. What does happiness look like for you and what is the ultimate goal of all of this?
1: Really good question. Happiness for me has always been the following saying yes to what you want to do and saying no to what you don't it's just freedom mm-hmm. so for me it was like i remember taking jobs i didn't want to my dad having to work and do things that wanted to provide but he, like he didn't want to and that's what true happiness for me and i guess my end goal is finding people helping people find their purpose and helping people find that so i'm actually just literally using youtube and instagram as a channel to do what i really want to do which is help people find their purpose—that's my real goal. I mean, money-wise, like people are like, "Jay, do you want to <laughs> like uh, I don't know, go on Forbes or something?" And yeah. monetary-wise, like, "Do you want a Lambo?" And I'm I'm sitting there thinking, well, like, yeah, but that's not my goal. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's like I build, I make money to for the, not the not I make money for the outcome of not just making money <laughs> for providing and for helping.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing is the the, the money and the Lamborghini. That's a result. Yes. Of. Pursuing what you want to do, but yeah, so that's interesting to hear about that. Um, so, what's next for Jade? What can we expect from the YouTube channel? What can we expect in 2019? 2018 was a huge year for you. I mean, I think I watched a video that was less than a year ago from your garage called "My Realist Video," oh, has no. under a thousand views, <laughs> and you're sharing sharing your thoughts from a garage. Today, you have a rabid audience, and um, you're growing. So, what what can we expect at this time next year?
1: Next year. I have an app called Personal Brand Journey. It's been developing and it's never been ready. It's gonna be ready next year. And this is a platform for you to grow your audience and take your passion full time. Now it sounds like a cool, it's another Udemy or Khan Academy. What I really wanna do actually is somehow make this, I'm very into technology. So we're making this very AI driven. There's like a personal trainer that I can talk to, remind you when to post on Instagram. Went to uh, your schedule for your YouTube videos, and for me, I want to make not a course, not another lesson, but a long-term plan for people to have discipline and to learn the lessons they need and get educated on how to grow their brand. So this, for me, is like almost people ask me, what is it like? It's like a fitness app, but for marketing. It's like very a very smart um, way for people to find discipline. So my goal for that is to help people. Um, actually, weirdly enough, my goal was to help people quit their jobs. Um, the amount of people, I'm not sure, but I'd love to have at least, um, you know, have people make a full-time income, a 100000 a year, 50000 There's so many people in different places. I genuinely really want to help people pursue their dreams.
0: Very cool. So it's going to be hard to keep up with you. I can already hey. imagine that in the next year I'm going <laughs> to try and keep up. But uh, what's the best place for people to check you out? Like wh- whether if they're listening right now and they just want to plug in, see what's up with Jade.
1: All right, so if you've got some sort of value, go check me out mm-hmm. on YouTube. My channel is Wangza, And Instagram, I'm pretty active. I love talking to you guys. And uh, if you want to check out my bot, I mean, just be, if you're like a marketer, it might be cool to check out. But uh, be So like, if Whoa. I
0: DM you, wait, like, before we end, if yeah. I DM yeah. you right now, will it, will you respond?
1: For what? My chat bot? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which one?
0: On your Instagram? Facebook?
1: No, it's only Facebook. Oh, it's
0: only Facebook. It's that Messenger thing. Yes, it's Messenger. Got it. Okay, okay. So that's what I was talking about before. Very cool. So I'm gonna try that out for sure. I have one more question that I wrote down. Oh, we had a story that we wrote down about you speaking in your uh, high school auditorium. yes. Let's talk about that.
1: Last year, everyone around me said this would never work, Jade, you're crazy, and I was sitting in the auditorium of like a graduation speech. I'm looking at the speaker, I'm looking at the kids around me who don't believe in me, and I said, one day, I'll be on the stage. Literally, my counselor emails me last week and says, hey, Jade, we'd love for you to speak at this year's event for the business class, basically, in my high school. And I said, heck yeah. So literally next week, um, the reason why I'm going back to Portland this weekend, actually, is to go speak at the event. And I don't give a shit if, like, I don't know, it's just so weird to think that, even if I like, close ties, even if you fuck up, even if you make a bad decision, you can always find yourself in the right place if you um, stay true to yourself. So I'm just so excited to like do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's a really cool way to kind of
2: wrap up you know, your year. You would have been a high school junior and you're already speaking at your high school.
1: Oh my God. I'm so excited. They're going to look at me like, what? where? What? Jade? Jade's back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's amazing. So uh, the last thing I want to ask you, um, you start a lot of your videos with going to get coffee. Mm. In LA, you, in one of your most recent videos, you went to Alfred's Coffee. It's pretty good. And I, I connected with you on the fact that it's not that good. It,
1: it's okay. Yeah,
0: it's not that great. And <laughs> I'm curious what your favorite coffee shop is in Los Angeles and why.
1: So something about me is I'm so caffeinated naturally that mm. is not a, it's not it's a safety hazard for me to get more caffeine. But matcha and coffee have a good place in my heart. The best place for you to get matcha so far, um, I haven't found so, you can help me on that. But the best coffee place, I really like Blue Bottle. Yeah. 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 It's good aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Good aesthetics. Nice people. But
1: Masha wise, you had a recommendation. Did you want to share what? I did, it? yeah.
0: I mean, Maru. Uh, or th- maybe it's Maru. I'm not sure. But in Los Angeles, it's a, it's a small place. I'm so running you g- there. Go check it out. Yeah. For there. sure. Um, okay, cool. Cool. Jade, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. You guys are awesome.
0: That's it this week for the Colin and Samir podcast. If you've been enjoying the episodes, please take a second to review the show. It really helps our show get discovered. If you have feedback for us, make sure to tweet it at us, email it to us. We are at Colin and Samir on Twitter, and our email is Samir at gmail.com. So we know that you are a listener to our show, but are you also a viewer? We put out content on YouTube regularly. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Colin and Samir. If you don't know about our YouTube channel, definitely go check it out. Give it a subscribe and let us know what you think. If there are any topics or guests that you want to hear on the show, make sure to tweet that at us or email us that as well. We'd love to hear your feedback on how we can make the show better. All right, tune in next week for another episode of the Colin and Samir podcast.